There is grace when the heart is under fire. I know the way when the walls are space between where I used to be and this reckoning. I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding of how I been set free there's a cross that bears the burden when another died for me there is another in the fire all my dead left for dead beneath the slave to my sin anymore. Thank you. And should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning, either way I won't bow to the things of this world. And I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire. There is another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding what power set me free? There is a grave that holds nobody, and now that power lives in me. There is another in the fire. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. Yes. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come with me in the space between all the things I see and this reckoning. I know I will never be. Never be alone. 
Joy come every battle, cause I know that's where you'll be. another in the fire oh, oh. there is another in the fire oh, there is another in the fire
a need, please stand up. May my cry come before you, Lord. We stand with you. May my prayers reach unto the sky. May my lips overflow with praise. May my tongue sing keep playing the bridge. Oh, God, you guys keep playing the bridge. Father God, we come to you on the behalf of those who stood. Father God, there are unspoken needs, but those who stand before you, God, may their cry reach your ears, oh Lord. May you answer the prayer of their hearts, oh God. If healing is needed, provide the healing, God. If there's unsaved loved loved ones before your return, which I feel is just around the corner, may they come into the kingdom very soon, oh God. Bring friends and loved ones around them. They may not listen to them to us, but maybe you could bring a friend they used to know that God saved and talk to them, Lord. And bring them into the kingdom, oh God. Lord, if there's discouragement, that you may bring encouragement, oh God. If there's healing, bring the healing, oh Father. Wherever the need is, answer it, oh God. If there's a financial need, pour out the windows of heaven upon them, oh God. And all those unspoken, oh God, those on the live stream have needs, oh God. We reach out to you. You are a good, good father. You are a good father. And we thank you, Lord, that we are your children. We could call on you anytime, any place. And your children cry out to you here. Some of us need deliverance, oh God, from habits. Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord. The deliverer, the provider, the healer. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Hallelujah. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Nisi, Nisi, our covering, the banner that's over us. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. 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 May my cry come before you. prayers reach unto the sky. May my lips overflow with praise. Praise you, Lord. May my tongue sing of your word. Verse 4.
when point comes where he, scripture you read, something clicks, that inner knowing, even though you don't see it, it's going to be there. Sometimes the fight to prayer is to get to that place. I don't see it happening, but I know it's going to happen. Not this false um, claim it and, you know, nab it and grab it and grab it, name it and grab it. It's when the Lord puts in your heart, it's going to be done. That's different from positive affirmation. Changes everything. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. All of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come. Come in the name, the name of Jesus. God, turn it around. 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 I'm praying God come and turn this thing around. turn it around God turn it around God turn it around I'm calling on the name it changes everything God turn it around God turn it around God turn it around all of my is in the name, the name. 
turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. I know you can. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. He is of the sum. He is of the sum. God is doing something right now. He is of the something. He is of the something. God is doing something right now. He is healing someone. He is saving someone. God is doing something right now. He is healing someone. He is saving someone. God is doing something right now. He is moving mountains, making a way for someone. God is doing something right now. He is moving mountains, making a way for someone. God is doing something right now. He is moving mountains, making a way for someone. Our scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take away your crown. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see y'all here today. Welcome. Welcome our visitors. Welcome those who come regularly, irregularly, whoever. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Good to see you this morning. What a blessed day we have. We had a wonderful Sunday last Sunday. Our missionaries were here for those who were able to uh, talk with them and see what was going on over in the Congo. 
uh, had a chance to really talk with them Monday evening and just really, really see the heart of how God has called them to go. Even in the opposition, they have many that are saying, you know, not necessarily strong Christians, but people in their circle that say, you know, maybe you ought not to go back. It's just too dangerous. Don't go. Don't go. But the truth is, is when God places a call, you can't help but do what he tells you to do. When you're in that relationship and you're walking with Jesus and you're, you're continuing to listen to what he wants you to do, when he says go, it burns within you if you don't. And the biggest struggles that you saw, you saw last week as they were sharing was just the getting everything together. I mean, they've got nine of them going over there, and most of them, or half of them, will be girls. And yet, God says go. And so they're planning to go back in June. Keep them in your prayers as we continue to support them and, and ask that God would move. I'd love to go over at some point, but right now they say that they're not even allowing anybody in the country that doesn't already have a visa to go in. So... Uh, that would be time before we could do that. But we know that when God God opens a door, it goes beyond paperwork. So we'll see how that plays out. But anyway, with this morning, we're going to pick back up in Judges. We're going to be in Judges chapter 11. Our title this morning is, He Never Fails, Even When We Do. So Father, we come this morning, we thank you, we praise you, we just lift up the name of Jesus we ask, Lord, that even as we go through these Old Testament books and we study about how it was in Israel during the times of the judges and other, other times and seasons of, of the history of Israel, Lord, we see you move in mighty ways. We see you working people that, that uh, we scratch our head and say, how in the world? What in the world was going on with them? But, Lord, then we go and look in the mirror and say, oh, <laughs> when you choose, when you call, Lord, then we choose to follow and we choose to obey and do what you call us to do. But we are frail. Sometimes we're fickle. Sometimes we can't seem to focus. But Lord, you are faithful beyond comparison to anything we can imagine. And so we come this morning, Lord, asking that you speak to our hearts as we go through this study. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in our last study... In Judges chapter 10, we, we saw Abimelech. We, we learned about who Abimelech was. And then we saw the two judges, Tola and Jair, who judged for a total of 45 years after Abimelech. And by the time Jair died, Israel again fell back into idolatry. And they were oppressed by the Philistines and the people of Ammon. And this goes on for about 18 years before they cry out to the Lord for help. Now, this shows the pride of Israel at that particular point in their, in their history. Forty-five years had gone. Now they're, they're kind of falling back into idolatry. And they stay in this place of bondage under Ammon and the, peop the Philistines for 18 years before they cry out. Now, you would think that as soon as they started seeing things in clothes around them or closing around them, they would cry out immediately. But the truth is, is that sometimes people don't want to cry out to the Lord because they want to hang on to what they've already gotten a hold of and hopefully they can work around it without going to God because they know that they've fallen into sin. And when you fall into idolatry, you're not blinded to it. Now, you become blinded once you've kind of gotten consumed by it that the lies begin to sound like truths. That's where we are in our country today. 
but but when you're in a relationship with God and you kind of move away, sometimes immediately you know, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. But then that flesh kicks in, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and here we go. And next thing you know, you're in bondage. Now 18 years goes by, and then they cry out to the Lord. But even when they sought the Lord, it wasn't completely heartfelt. Let's go back to verses 10 through 18 in Judges chapter 10. And it says, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. True statement. There's nothing wrong in what they're saying. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians, and Amalekites and Maonites oppressed you. And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together, I'm sorry, yeah, encamped in Mizpah. And the people and the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So here they are, 18 years later. They cry out to God. God gives them a history lesson, which we see a lot in <laughs> as we go through the, the books of the Bible. There's a lot of remembrance and a lot of reminding. Do you not see? Do you not remember what I did for you? Let's go all the way back to Egypt. I delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you from bondage of 400 years. And even as they're going through the desert, they're complaining. Oh, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? There's no water. There's no food. Oh, if we were only back in Egypt. Well, did you not know where I just delivered you from? That bondage? The oppression? But yet, their hearts weren't all in. And so what we see here is they, they hear what God says. I'm not going to deliver you. I'm done. But what do they say? Well, do whatever seems best, but deliver us anyway. It's, 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 it's amazing the mindset that the, the fleshly mind can get when you're crying out, even in the place of crying out to God, you can still be a little bit demanding. You're not humble. But yet God still, while they were not faithful fully, even though they said they were going to commit, they did put away the idols. It doesn't say they got rid of them. They just put them away. Let's tuck them in a drawer somewhere. So when it all settles down, we'll go back. And unfortunately, that was their pattern. When things got tough, they cry out to the Lord. They go back into the serving Him. They go back into doing what they're supposed to do, put away the idols. God delivers them. They go through a season. They start getting complacent again. They get overcomfortable. The next thing you know, they pull those idols back out of the drawers, and here they go again. Now, we can look at that, and we can say, wow. They were just bad. But then we have to go look in the mirror. Because human nature is the same. 
today as it was then. See, what we have to understand, while Israel was the chosen nation through Abraham, they were all still born into sin. Because of the original fall, because of Adam's sin, everyone is now who is born is born into sin. You're born a sinner. You can't help that fact. You can't change that fact. Only Jesus can change that for you. Because he went to the cross and took that sin upon himself. He took the judgment. And the one thing that we can grab a hold of today when we start thinking about judgment, people come to Jesus and say, oh, I have this free gift. Yes, it's free for you, but it wasn't free for God. See, God always demands judgment over sin. In his case, what he decided for our benefit was that he would send Jesus to take that judgment for us. So in Jesus, there's no judgment. But without Jesus, we're still under the judgment, under the law of sin and death. Well, so Israel was born into the same sin that we're born into. So what they would do is they would have to offer continual sacrifices over and over and over to atone for their sin. And they would continually do these things. When Jesus came, he was the final sacrifice. No more sacrifices needed. His blood is perfect. He was the perfect lamb. He was the sinless one. And so now we have a door to go in. But that still, knowing that, understanding that, receiving that, walking in that, we still have that fleshly nature that we struggle with every day. Paul said we, the flesh wrestles against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And that's a continual battle. Now, when you submit to the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, you're not bound by the lust of the flesh. You're no longer bound into that sin. But when you turn away, when that lust grabs a hole and you start walking down that road and it turns into sin, it's fully conceived, then what happens is we find ourselves separated from God, not separated from the standpoint that He moved, but from the fact that, fact that we have now turned. So, it's the same for us today as it was for them. We have to be careful that we stay focused and abide. It says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. What does it mean to abide? That's truly what believe means. See, it's easy to say, I believe. But what does the word say? Well, the demons believe and tremble. But they're not submitted to Jesus. You can believe in who he is. But if you don't believe in him, meaning that you surrender to him, meaning that you come to the place of abiding in him, then you're not in relationship. And if you're not in relationship, you're going to have this roller coaster ride that's just going to be continually, continual, continual. And those downhills, I don't know if you rode a roller coaster or not. I don't do it anymore. You know, I like to keep my, my food in when I eat. But those things, man, they'll woo. You know, the up and down, up and down, up and down. And the up the loops, upside down, all of that stuff. But what we can see in, our, in what we're studying this morning and what we can see in our own lives is the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness. See, when God made a promise to Abraham and swore to Abraham, he didn't swear because of Abraham. He swore on his own word because there was no one greater. And so he made this covenant with Abraham. And if you remember the covenant, they, they had the animals that they, they had on each side. They cut in half, they split, they split, and he had to walk through. Well, normally both parties walk through to, to assure that covenant. 
Well, Abraham went into a trance and was into like a, a sleep mode, if you will. God walked through and made the covenant. He's the one that made the covenant. He's the one that sustains the covenant, and no one else can. And it's the same way when Jesus came. He made the covenant in the new covenant with us. He made it. All we have to do is say, yes, here I am. I believe. I abide. And now we walk in that relationship. Now we see that with Israel, God was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He didn't want to see them in that place, even though he knew that they put themselves in that place. Now, the next thing that we see is that they didn't necessarily wait on God to see how he was going to deliver them. They kind of jumped the gun a little bit, if you will, which is, again, this is human nature. Even when we're in a down point and we seek the Lord and we're praying for help and we're praying for deliverance, what do we do? We get up off our knees and say, now, how can I find a solution to this? How can I fix this problem? And God says, no, I want you to come to the end of yourself. You can't do anything without me. Let me handle this. But they went ahead and began to seek one for themselves. So let's see the men they choose. We'll pick up now. Hey, now we're beginning our, our lesson here. Judges chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now Jephthah, the Gileite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was a son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Now this is interesting. It, it really shows how fickle Israel is. How they can change their mind on a dime. Okay, you don't belong to us. You had a harlot for a mother, so you can't be partaker of the inheritance. Go away. Get out of our sight. We don't want anything to do with you. But as soon as there's trouble in the camp, and they knew that Jephthah was pretty much a, a mighty warrior. They knew he had people gained together with him. What do they do? Let's go get Jephthah back. Let's go get him. And he's like, what? Why are you here? Now, I mean, my flesh would tell me if someone were to do that to me, I'd say, no, go fight your own battle. 
But Jephthah saw an opportunity. Number one, he's back in the family. Number two, he's now going to be leader if all goes well. And so they have this whole discussion here. But it's like you hate me today and you love me tomorrow. It's as if they're operating in emotion. We see that happening today, don't we? Around us in our culture, it's all emotion. Let's fire it up. Let's get something over here going. Everybody get excited about it. Everybody get emotional about it. Next thing you know, you've got people stomping and walking in the streets, and they're all emotional, and some of them don't even know why they're there. But somebody's got them all fired up. And so they're driving, they're being driven by emotion. And see, this is how Satan works. Satan uses emotion to get you involved in something, and when you really take time to step back and look at it, say, wait a minute, should I really be in this? Should I not be in this? Well, the world is, is just really sucked into that right now. We have different movements in our culture that if you say anything that disagrees with them, the emotion rises, and when that emotion rises, what happens? They shut you down. You cannot have a separate voice from the emotional crowd. And that's the way Satan has intended it to be. Well, it's the same way sometimes even with Jesus in the church. I mean, you think about it. You have, um, you have a lot of things going on today in the church. People are just following after whatever fad comes along. Oh, look, this is happening. Let's all band together on that. Oh, look, this is happening. This is all what we should be doing is saying, God, if that's of you, I pray you will bless it. And I pray you will use it mightily. But if you want me involved with it, you send me. Otherwise, speak to me here. And what am I supposed to be doing right here and right now? When we went to the pastor's conference back in, in February, I was, really, I was really struggling with some things. And what I was struggling with is I really wanted to see the uh, uh, revivals that were happening be recognized or at least be mentioned because Ashbury you all heard about Ashbury it broke out up there and that was a wonderful thing that happened in other schools and other places it was happening but sometimes you can get so into your own little circle that you don't want to acknowledge a revival or a transformation here or there because you want to see it happening here and if it's not happening here in our group then it may not be real well God is much bigger than Calvary Chapel. God is much bigger than any denomination. God is much bigger than any group. And we can't take any, in our group, what we call Calvary Chapel, we can't take this and say, this is the only way. We can't put this out and say, we're the only voice to be heard. God's voice is the only voice to be heard. And so we went down and it was mentioned, and I was so, it, it, really, it really brought a, a breath of fresh air to me because here's what, here's what was mentioned. It didn't mention Ashbury specifically, but the, the pastor down there, as he was leading the conference, he said, listen, he said, we all know that revival is happening all around us right now. It's happening. If you want it to happen in your community, let it start with you. And that's the key. That's the key. If you want to see something happening, let it start with you. Don't wait 
on some big thing to come along so you can jump on it. Get involved with the Lord right now. You have the Holy Spirit. You have all you need. You have the Word. You have the Spirit. You have Jesus. You have a relationship. You have a Heavenly Father that loves you and who wants to guide you and direct you and loves you and, and give you everything you need. And yet sometimes we still just sit. Well, I'm not equipped. Really? Well, what about Jephthah? What about people that we see in the Word? Were they equipped? Well, God used him. We're going to see that in a few minutes. But it had nothing to do with him, did it? And that's one thing, too, that I really get encouraged when I read the words to see. So that messed up people God used. Because if he can use them, he can use me. <laughs> he can use any of us. But think about this, too. When Jesus came, people were so fickle. In John 12, 12 through 13, it says, the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast, and when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And then next week, one week later, in Matthew 27, verse 2, and Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And then the governor said, Well, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was arising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. A week now, I know that a lot of these were the leaders, and a lot of these were them that were stirring it up, but other people joined in. And some of those people, like I said, the week before, were all, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is here, hallelujah, and the next week, crucify him. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't register real well, but think about it. Sometimes we can be praising the Lord today and angry at him tomorrow. Why? Because we get wrapped up into what we expect from him rather than in the relationship with him. And yes, God gives us many, many things. He, he blesses us with the gifts of the Spirit. He blesses us with the fruit of the Spirit. But those are available to those who are abiding in him. And if you're abiding in him, you have access as the Holy Spirit wills to bless you with all of those things. But when we have our mindset set, oh, God, I love you and I need you, but I need you to do this and do it this way and do it now. And then he doesn't do it in our timeline or in our manner of doing. And what do we do? We sit back and we say, well, I just can't believe you didn't do it, God. You don't, you don't listen to my prayers. You don't hear what I'm saying. You don't have any relationship. It's all because we're blinded when we let the flesh get in the way. But Jesus is bigger than all of those things. But we have that mindset. We, we can turn on a dime depending upon how we feel. I'm just going to be honest with you. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. You can't trust them. You can't trust how you feel. Because, again, one thing, you can feel good. The next thing, you can feel bad. And it's like, well, what does that leave us? It leaves us in, not, in putting our feelings over here and walking in faith, not by sight. Because when we walk in faith, 
We're depending upon him for everything. If we're walking by sight, we're still trying to figure things out and fix and do. And today, we just celebrated Resurrection Sunday last week. Jesus arose after three days and now sits at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. And we know that he's alive. And we celebrate him every day, not just last Sunday. We celebrate Jesus every day. And this is something we need to continue to, to understand. We're not bound by days and celebrations. I mean, man comes up with all kinds of holidays. National Potato Day. You know, this day, that day. Whatever day somebody has, they want. Oh, let's make that a holiday. But the truth is, is that now that we're in relationship with Jesus, it's not about a day. It's about today. Today, if you'll hear his voice. Today, if you'll walk, not as Israel did in rebellion, but walking in relationship. Today. And that's why we don't, we don't focus on what day this is and what day that is and all those things. Because it really doesn't matter anymore. It's now all about Jesus every day. And that's the relationship that we have. And we should celebrate it that way. But now, looking at Israel here, before we come too, too hard and we come down on them... We, again, we all have the same issues. Whether it's looking for a particular politician or a government policy to save us as a nation. Or the church following after another religious fad. Mentioned that earlier. We're two very fickle people. We can change like the wind. Just look. I mean, I'm not going to get into the political thing. But just look at the picture of it. In the last three years, four years. Of how... Things have just just shifted. Views have changed. Things change. All these things happen. And people are, they, they, they can't depend upon their emotions and their feelings. And so they need to get past that in the church. We need to focus on Jesus and quit looking at all of those things as those any of those are going to be any good for us. It doesn't matter who's in office. I mean, I know that goes against the grain for some of you. It matters to me. <laughs> and it matters to you personally. But what I'm saying is, from God's perspective, he's on the throne. And he's not moved from his position. Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father. There's a day coming when he's going to stand. And he's going to open the scrolls. And there's a lot going to be happening at that point. That's coming soon. We don't know when. We don't have the timeline. We're not going to put days and dates. But we can look at the culture. Look at the signs. Things are coming in accordance and lining up and according to what Scripture says is going to happen. And as I've mentioned just a few minutes ago, as far as the next great revival or transformation, instead of looking at it externally, let's humble ourselves. Let's abide in Jesus. And let's see if it's an internal. Because internal's got to start first. If you're waiting on the revival, and you're waiting on somebody else to start it, and Jesus is saying, well, why not you? Why not you? But who am I, Lord? What can I bring to the table? I can't even put two words together and it come out right. I can't do this. I can't do that. Moses tried to get out of it and God wouldn't let him. Elijah, after bringing fire down from heaven, killing 400 prophets of Baal, he runs and hides thinking he's the last one and he wants to die. And God says, no. And here's the thing, too, in that story of Elijah that I really, really want us to think about for a minute. He was in that cave. 
He was alone. He was depressed. And here comes the storm. The thunder, the lightning, the wind. Everything came. And he's standing there. And then what? A still, small voice. And that still, small voice for us is the Holy Spirit that says you're not alone. He knows the storm. He knows you may be chased by whatever. He knows that this is going on in your life. He knows that this, this, is, this is a very big struggle for you. But he also knows that he's your answer. And if you wait upon the Lord and listen, listening is so important because most of the time when we come to the Lord, we're talking. And it's okay. We need to be communicating. It is a, it is a Prayer is a conversation. But you can't do all the talking. Because when you do all the talking, you're not listening. And he may have a very specific word or an answer for you that if you're not going to be listening for, you're going to miss it and you're still throwing out all your requests and your uh, uh, the prayers and all the things that you need and all the things that you want. And he's saying, be quiet a minute. I've got an answer for you. And he wants to speak to us that way. He wants to work in each of us right where we are. And that's the power that we have within us. The Holy Spirit. And he brings what they call dunamis power. Dynamite power. Now that dynamite power is not to be just about a show. Dynamite power comes when we're so close to Jesus. He pours into us so much. It just explodes out of us. And people around us just going to get wet. Because he wants to saturate us so that we can then be available to saturate others. The power is not to be just given to us and then we walk around and look what I've got. I got the power. No, you don't have nothing when you do that. You just lost it if he gave you it to you at all. It's now, Lord, you're filling me. Let me now be a light to somebody else. And that's where revival starts. That's where transformation starts. That's how it works. So let's continue on. I'm getting, getting behind on my time here. Verses 11 through 29. Then Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all of the words before the Lord, of his words before the Lord in Mitzpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you've come to fight against me in my land? And the key people, I'm sorry, and the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah. Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt. From Arnon as far as Jabbok into the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of, or to the, king of the people of Ammon. And said to him, thus says Jephthah. Israel did not take away the land of Moab. Nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt. They walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea. And came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying. Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab. But he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness. And bypassed the land of Edom. And the land of Moab. Came to the east side of the land of Moab. And encamped on the other side of Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. 
Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. But Shihon, or Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to Jabbok and from the wilderness to the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people of Israel. Should you then possess it? Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. And now are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aror and its villages, and all the way to cities along the banks of the Arnon, for 300 years, why did you not recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord... The judge rendered judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. So, a lot of reading there. But you see the picture here. Basically, the king of Ammon is saying, you stole our land. We want it back. And Jephthah saying, no, let me give you the history again. We didn't steal anything. We asked to come through several places. They wouldn't let us, so we went around. We would have went around here too, but no, you came out against us. And so we defeated them. God defeated your God. God defeated you. Therefore, God took the land and gave it to us. And what God gives us, we're not giving up. There's a story in there, too. When God delivers you, when God gives you something, Satan can't take it back. We stand upon the word of God. We stand upon the relationship with God. And we don't give that up. We don't need to go saying, oh, oh, he's going to take it. No, God has delivered you. God has given to you. What is yours come, came from God, and so it's yours. So here they are. They decide to go to battle, and they're defeated. God dispersed them from the land, and it's no longer theirs. And going back to Deuteronomy in chapter 29, verses 7 through 8, this is what God told Moses to tell the people. And when you come to this place, Sihon of Heshbon and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and, and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. So this is the history. This is exactly back in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Moses was giving them a history lesson here. Here, Jephthah's given the people of Ammon a history. There's a lot of history here. That's, that's why it's important for us to go through and study these things. Because we see God's hand moving throughout Israel's history all the way into our story today. He's the same God. He doesn't change. 
same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is just as in our corner as he was for Israel. And we need to continue to remember that and walk in him. And I love what it says in verse 24. He says, will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So really, if you think about this, this is a battle between the gods. The big G and the little G. <laughs> they had no chance. Because there's only one living God. And they lost because they would not listen. They, they, they came out in pride against Israel. So they said, you know, you know, listen, if your God can take it, take it. But they couldn't. His God, their gods are not real. They were idols. And again, they were defeated and they were sent packing. So here we see again, God is about to deliver Israel in spite of themselves. Because if you really look at their history, why wouldn't God give up? Well, because God honors his word. That's why. And when God says something, he means what he says. The promise he made to Abraham wasn't just for Israel. That's the wonderful thing, too. Go and read in Galatians, particular chapter 3 and 4, really really dives into this, but it specific, specifically says, when he told Abraham, your seed, he didn't say seeds as in plural. He said seed is in singular, referring to Jesus himself. And when Jesus came, Jesus came for his own, but they, his own rejected him. The door is now open to all nations, to all people who would receive the living God through Jesus Christ. God's mercy does endure forever, even when we fail. Even when we find ourselves not walking in that place of faith. In 2 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, it says, If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's the awesome God that we serve. He can't deny himself because he is who he is. The Almighty, the Everlasting, always has been, always will be. He wasn't created. He created all things. And the problem with the world today and the problem with the fleshly nature is that we want to create a God that we want that will wink at our sin, that will allow us to go whatever way we want to go and do whatever we want to do. Oh, let's create that God. I don't want to serve the God of absolutes. I'll serve the God who will change as I change. Well, that's no God at all. And God will have no part of that. And so some that will say, I'm a Christian. And now that I've prayed a prayer, I can live any way I want to. And God's okay with it. I mean, you may not hear those. I did hear that on a video one time. A girl actually said that. I can do whatever I want and, and I'm okay. And some won't say it, but that's really what they believe. Now that I've checked off my insurance form and prayed the prayer, I can live any way I want to and do anything I want to and be anything I want to. No, when you come to Jesus, you come humbly and you give yourself to him. You're no longer your own. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. What was that price? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. So you don't have the choice to go live the way you want to. And that within itself is what drives a lot of people away. I don't want to be under control of anything. Well, you already are. You just don't even know it. 
and what you're in control of between your flesh and the demonic powers that are driving and feeding your flesh, you don't even, you're not in control. Jesus comes to set us free. And when we surrender to him, that's what true freedom is. And he who is set free is free indeed. Today, we're in this season of grace. An extended time of mercy, if you will. Since Jesus came. He's calling to all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him. Whosoever is anybody. Whosoever believe in him should receive eternal life. So here's the thing. We're in this season right now. And we can look at this season in two ways. We say, well, why is God allowing this? And why is God? Because we're in the season of grace. God is showing mercy even to those school shooters. God is showing mercy to those people who do evil deeds. Now, many of those people kill themselves and they face judgment after that. But for those who do not die when they do an evil act, as some of these people have done, they're still under mercy. And the mercy is that Jesus can still knock on the door of that hardened heart and they can be forgiven. Now, that's a hard thing for some people, even the church, to hear today because we want to categorize sin. Oh, somebody who does that, they deserve no mercy. Jesus said none of us deserve any mercy, but because of him, he became our mercy for us, and he now brings us into a place of righteousness. But he looks at sin the same. In God's eyes, you either... Come to the place where you recognize you're a sinner and repent and receive Jesus or you remain in your sin. And those who remain in their sin, it doesn't matter what they're doing. Their sin is not higher or lower. It's ugly to us and it's painful to us to see. But ultimately, this is still God's mercy because he's given every heart an opportunity, given everyone an opportunity to say, I see I've sinned, I repent. Now, to repent is, again, not just a prayer. It's to turn away from. It's to go the other direction. But you can't repent until you know you need to repent. And you can't know you need to repent until the word is taught. And you can't water down the word because if you water down the word, you're not able to. People aren't even. They can come to church for years and years and years and never even know that they're a sinner because they've never been taught from the word of God. They've been entertained. Or positively, mentally motivated so they can go out and conquer the world, but they're still in their sin. We need Jesus. We need to know him. We need to abide in him. We need to walk in him. And we need to study and read and pray and be in this relationship. We're all partakers of his mercy, even those right now who, re who reject him. When they stand before God after they take their last breath, and they say, well, I didn't know. No, there's no excuse. I gave you mercy. You rejected it. And that's the answer that they receive. And the sad thing is that there'll be others that stand before the Lord. So look what I did in your name. I healed. I did this. I did that. I did it. And he said, yeah, but I never knew you. We weren't in relationship. You were doing religious things. Religiosity doesn't cut it. It's relationship. In our studies, we've seen God continually deliver his people. And today he's offering his deliverance from death to life through Jesus Christ.
But the timeline's getting shorter. And again, I'm not putting times and dates, but think about it. You're about to have another birthday if you hadn't had one recently. Time keeps moving. Yesterday's gone. We don't know the timelines, but we know every time we wake up in the morning, we're one day closer. And for some, we may go through sickness or through accident or through whatever cause that we have to go this, leave this life and be with him. For others, it may be when Jesus returns. I believe we're getting that close. It could be that some of us may just be that quick. But we shouldn't be thinking about those things, about how we're going to go, when we're going to go. We should be thinking about Jesus now, and what are we doing today? What am I doing today? Am I in relationship this moment? Am I in relationship today? Yesterday, yeah, I kind of blew it. And I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're right. That's why we don't. We have to put yesterday behind us. We can't worry about tomorrow. We've got to walk in today. Every day, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, listen, for some of you, I'm already there, but you've kind of closed me off. You've got an escape hatch in there somewhere. He wants the key to all of it. He wants it all. And for others, it may be, I've never really surrendered. I've never really come to the place of surrender. I've prayed, but I've, I've not actually fully entered in. And he's saying, today's the day. Today's the day. Will you enter? Will you abide? Will you let me come into you as I am in you? He, this is so wonderful. Go back and read John 17, the prayer he prayed. When he prayed for the disciples, but then when he prayed for the people that weren't even born yet, for all those who will believe by the word that is spoken through these apostles and the word that I've given, for all those that will believe, he said, I pray for them. That they will abide in me as I abide in you, Father. And as you abide in me and I abide in you, they will abide in us. And that's an intimate relationship. That's an intimate place. It's not casual. It's not a flyby or a drive-by. It is an, an intimate relationship. And that's what he's offering today. He's offering this, this deliverance from this from death, from eternal death, into eternal life. And then once we're in that place, what he's offering is a daily, daily, daily intimate time with him that we grow and we move and we continue to be closer to him. Jesus is coming again. And I think about when everyone was standing there and Jesus ascended and they're all looking up. And the angel said, what are you doing looking up? What are you looking at? He's going to come back the same way that he went up on his timeline. And we're going to see him. The whole world will see him. And the wonderful thing is, is for those who are in him, he's coming for you. For those who are not. That's why we need to have a heart for the, for the lost. We need to have a heart for the lost. And many of us have family members that are not walking with the Lord. Do not give up praying for them. Continue praying for them. Continue seeking God on their behalf. God hears your prayers. He will not override your will or their will, but he will give them, if you're praying for them particularly, he's going to just pour on and pour on and pour on and give them every opportunity. And what I pray for for those in my family is brokenness. 
And that's not an easy prayer. But I pray for brokenness. I pray, God, whatever it takes, break that fleshly heart and give them a soft, pliable heart that they may understand you and see you for who you are and walk in you. And that may be trouble coming for them. But think about this for a moment. When you met Jesus, and I mean really met Jesus, sometimes it's beyond the prayer. I mean, I'm not saying that you don't that you don't receive Jesus when you pray and you do have a sincere heart. But there are times will happen. It happened with me, and I knew when it happened. And it can happen to you, and you, you know the same thing. There's a place where you come where you know that Jesus is all you have. And when you have that and you hit that place, it wasn't an easy place to be, was it? But what if people were praying that God deliver you from any pain and any suffering? Well, then I might not have been in a place to be broken. So I pray, God, I give them to you. These family members, I give them to you. Do what you have to do. Your will be done. But I pray for brokenness. That they can receive you. And then I release it. Because you can't hang on to it. You can't fix anybody. Lord knows if we could fix anybody, we'd have started with ourselves. <laughs> that didn't work, did it? <laughs> so this is where we are. God is faithful. He never fails, even when we do. And His mercy is always there. His grace is always there. Now, next week, we're going to get into a difficult passage. I'm going to go and tell you up front. <laughs> because some of you read ahead, and you know it. It's not an easy one to talk about, but we're going to get into it, and we're going to discuss it. I'm going to break down the prayer, I'm gonna, or the vow that Jephthah made. I'm going to break it all down, and we're going to go through it. So I want you to pray up, because I am. <laughs> And I'm making sure you don't have anything to throw or anything like that. But God has, has a word for us next week, and we're going we're gonna to look at that too. So I encourage you to come back if you can. Be with us next week as we continue this story of Jephthah and see how God is still faithful even though man messes up greatly.